0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello
1: and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson and I'm Holly Fry. And it's that time of year again. Uh, we're talking about things that have been unearthed. Uh usually this has sort of grown from a kind of one episode thing to two episodes. And this year we've had four episodes because we had a whole episode on the Franklin Expedition, a whole episode on Stonehenge. And uh, now we're going to get into our year end roundup of all the stuff that was literally and figuratively dug up in 2014.
0: And there's been a lot this year. So we got to go to two parts.
1: Yep. Yep, we had. I think we had two parts last year, but we didn't have additional dedicated episodes. So if you love Unearthed Season, you're super set this year. <laughs> uh, we know that you are listening to this in 2015 at the earliest, but as we are recording, it is still 2014. So when we say this year, we mean 2014. Uh, and we also have a couple of caveats. So last year, Holly and I came onto the show in March, and we didn't really start keeping up with unearthed things until later in the year. So this year, I started a pin board and basically kept up with things that were unearthed beginning in January, which means that by the uh, time that it, that it became time to record, we had like 106 things to talk about. Uh, we are not going to talk about all 106 things, because even with two episodes, that's that's too much to talk about. Also... In spite of having Google alerts and RSS feeds and all of this other stuff, there are some parts of the world that are highly underrepresented here. For example, I went looking specifically about news from Africa that was not from Egypt. I had a really hard time. So I don't know how much of that is my fault for not being a very good searcher and how much of it is like indicative of the media not paying a lot of attention to what's happening in Africa Probably a combination of both, so that's on my to-do list to work on for 2015, unearthed season. So this episode includes uh, lots of connections to past episodes, some extreme serendipity, shipwrecks, a couple of Holocaust-related unearthings, things, and lots of the oldest things ever discovered. It's a whole lot of fun.
0: So, starting off, uh, remember all of that hubbub that went on about Richard III last year? Still in the news. This time, uh, it's following DNA analysis. So first things first, that is definitely Richard III, uh, per the DNA evidence. However, the team had a little more trouble with the part of the analysis that involved matching his DNA to his living relatives. Everything went pretty smoothly on the maternal side, but on the paternal side, Richard's DNA does not match his purported male descendants. The explanation that most often comes up in the original paper is false paternity, and that's with quotes around it. In other words, someone was not really uh, being the daddy somewhere along the line between Richard III and his own living male relatives. And this, of course, gets into all manner of speculation about what and who and whether it affects the current royal family. But we're not going to get into all of that, as we've learned the hard way that people are very ready to yell at us for gossiping about Richard III and his family line. Yeah, we got so much hate about that.
1: <laughs> uh, in other king kingly news that ties back to past episodes of the podcast, a set of remains was found. There were actually several sets, but found in a tomb in Greece in the late 1970s. And there has been intense speculation ever since then about exactly whose remains these were. But this year, researchers announced that they had confirmed that they're the, the remains of King Philip II, Alexander the Great's father. These bones, as we said, had just been highly controversial for all this time. And the final identification mostly came by examining his injuries. So it was kind of a forensic anthropology bone study. There was evidence of sinusitis that uh, could have come from being hit in the face with an arrow, as happened to uh, Philip II. There was also damage to his ribs that matches a blow from a lance, which Philip II also sustained around 345 or 344 BCE. So there is ongoing debate about the identity of all the other skeletons that were in the tomb. But this one in particular, King Philip II.
0: And related to one of my favorite episodes, uh, an international expedition to the shipwreck that gave us the Antikythera mechanism has turned up so much additional stuff. Uh, Earlier efforts to study the wreck have failed because the area was particularly treacherous. But this time, divers were outfitted with exosuits, which are described as wearable submarines, which let them go into very deep water for hours at a time without the risk of decompression sickness. So it's a huge advancement in terms of uh, the technology that allows them to really explore these kinds of things. And their findings include ship components. They found a spear from a life-size statue. There is an intact jug and other treasures. They were able to make a really extensive 3D map of the area, including artifacts that are scattered around the seafloor, around the wreck, And there may be some more about this in 2015, as they are indeed planning to return to the wreck for further study, which is especially awesome considering that they believe this ship is mostly full of amazing Greek treasures. For all we know, there is another Antikythera mechanism down there.
1: That would be cool. Yeah, the prevailing theory is that this is basically a ship that was specifically loaded up with awesome Greek things and then set sail for Rome, uh, which means that further exploration of it would be incredible. Uh, This is actually not the only Antikythera news that came in 2014. James Evans, who's a professor of physics, and Christian Carman, who's a history of science professor, got together and published a paper in which they claimed that the Antikythera mechanism's start date, so sort of the date on which its calculations begin, was in 205 BCE. So if you have not heard the Antikythera mechanism Uh, episode that we have in the archive. This is basically an astronomical clock that has been dubbed the world's first computer. So what these two professors did was they compared the mechanism and the astronomical events that it sort of shows with records of historical eclipses to figure out exactly where they lined up. So their work suggests that the device is actually between 50 and 100 years older than we all previously thought. If this is true, it upends some of our prior understanding of the device, because it means that, number one, people were able to predict eclipses much earlier than previously believed. Number two, it means that the math that was used to put this whole thing together was actually Babylonian arithmetic and not Greek trigonometry. Uh, It lastly means that there's a possibly apocryphal story about the Antikythera device that could actually be true. And that story is that Archimedes made something similar. Uh, this earlier time frame of when it was potentially made means that it actually possibly very conjecturally existed during Archimedes' lifetime, which was not possible in the earlier thinking that the thing was made a hundred years later.
0: I suspect there will be ongoing discoveries about the Antikythera mechanism because it is It's one of those things where there are constantly new analysis analyses going on. And new versions of it made out of Lego. Yes. (laughs) Uh, In other news, during restoration work at Tokat Castle, an archaeological team found, along with a secret tunnel, two dungeons. And they believe that these were where Prince Vlad III, a.k.a. Vlad the Impaler, was imprisoned and tortured in the early 15th century while he was being held captive in Romania.
1: A lot of that was reported as uh, "Vlad the Impaler's dungeon found," which really made it sound like was the dungeon where well, he, was, he was torturing people. Yeah, no, yeah,
0: those, those headlines were very misleading.
1: They really were. It was kind of disappointing to a number of people. Uh, a sandstorm appears to have revealed some previously unknown Nazca lines in Peru. These geoglyphs were spotted by pilot Eduardo Herrán Gómez de la Torre, and these newly discovered lines include a snake that's about 196 feet long, a bird, a creature that looks like a camel, and some zigzags. So archaeologists were hoping to confirm all of these findings, that they really were new and not previously discovered. Uh, I was not able to, con- to find confirmation of what they had found yet, once we actually recorded this episode.
0: Uh, The BBC reported that some bones found under a Colchester department store were Boudicca bones, and we put Boudicca in quotes there. These bones from a jaw and a shin were found among burned building rubble and appeared to date back to the time of Boudicca's rebellion. The BBC quoted Philip Crummy, director of the Colchester Archaeological Trust, as saying they were, quote, likely to be the remains of people who died in buildings set on fire by the British as they overran the town. Also at this department store and similarly mixed in with burned debris was a collection of Roman jewelry also dating back to the year 61. The collection includes a small jewelry box along with armlets, necklaces, and bracelets of silver and gold. The theory is that these were buried before their owner fled from Boudica's army.
1: This is an example where I had two different articles that were from two different uh months of the year, and they were both about this department store. And I was like, is it the same department store? <laughs> yes, it appears to be the same department store. Uh, in our last connection to a previous episode of Stuff You Missed in History class, last year, a tooth was found on Beacon Island off the coast of Western Australia. This year, surveys started in that area in the hope of finding remains from the wreck of the Batavia and the bloody events that followed it. But before they could get into doing that research, they had to remove a lot of more recent structures and whatnot from the area because they were going to get in the way of their study. This included some concrete slabs that are between 50 and 60 years old and that they were pretty sure were covering up things that were potentially of archaeological significance. Uh, these tools that they're using for their surveys include geophysical remote sensing tools like ground-penetrating radar. And what they're looking for is burial sites of the people who were killed in the aftermath of the uh, the wreck of the Batavia and the mutiny plans that were going on. So I'm hopeful that when we do Unearthed in 2015, we'll have lots of new news about the, the Batavia to share with everyone. Fingers crossed. And Yes, before we move on to some particularly serendipitous finds. I mean, all the finds are pretty serendipitous, but these ones are particularly so. Let's take a brief moment for a word from a sponsor.
0: I think that sounds lovely.
1: Our sponsor today is Squarespace, which is a really easy to use, intuitive, drag and drop way to make your own websites. If you need a website for your own projects, for your own uh, business, for whatever it is that you're looking for, It's a super easy way to make a website that looks beautiful without having to learn to code. Squarespace has 24-7 customer support that includes email support and live chat, and they are there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Plus, Squarespace produces beautiful, clean design, so your content that you're making, whatever it is, becomes the focus of your website.
0: I like that there is a super simple logo creator so you can totally put together a really lovely logo for your website or your company with minimal effort and you'll still really like the, re- the results. Uh, that's at squarespace.com slash logo. And it, that's actually free for Squarespace customers. So it's kind of like a little bonus service that they offer.
1: All plans have commerce options from hosting an entire store to accepting donations for your personal blog. And you can try Squarespace risk free. Go to squarespace.com slash history to get a free 14-day trial with no credit card necessary. I know that is a big deal to a lot of people uh, to not have to put in your credit card when you're getting a free trial. So that is 14 days free with no credit card necessary. And if you like the product, if you're satisfied with what you see, the cost is as low as $8 a month. And it includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. If you use the offer code HISTORY, you can also get 10% off your first purchase. So that is Squarespace.com, an easy, beautiful, drag-and-drop, intuitive way to make awesome websites. So, to return this time to the world of uh, extra serendipity, in January, Antiquities Minister Mohammed Ibrahim of Egypt announced that a University of Pennsylvania team had identified the tomb of Pharaoh uh so the I, and So the I is believed to be the founder of the 13th dynasty, which was 3,800 years ago, and he ruled Egypt for about four and a half years, which is rather long for a pharaoh during that time period. Uh, however, before this discovery, there was really not a lot known about him or his rule, which made this a particularly in- important finding. However... The extra serendipitous part is that while excavating this tomb, the team also found the tomb of a completely different, previously unknown king. This was King Wosiribi-Sinibke. And this tomb had sadly been pretty damaged by looters, who had stolen a lot of the artifacts and damaged the king's mummy. But the team was able to reconstruct some of the remains. And uh, although it's previously unknown, it's possible that... Uh, this was actually someone who was named in the Turin king list, but the similar name on that list is spelled completely differently from this one. So it's possible that while excavating the tomb of one king, they found the tomb of another king who was previously unknown to history.
0: On uh, another fabulous happenstance. Four children that were on an archaeological dig for school kids dug up an extremely rare gold hair ornament in Kirkha, Northumberland. Uh, The four boys were all between the ages of 7 and 10 and were completely surprised when it turned out that the plastic doodad that they thought they'd found was in point of fact an extremely rare artifact dating back to 2300 BCE. There have only been 10 similar finds in Britain. This one, in a strange coincidence, is a matched set with one that was dug up in 1935. And two of the boys, Luca and Sebastian Alderson, are the great-great-grandsons of Joseph Alderson, who was part of the team that dug up that earlier ornament. So there's kind of layered serendipity to this one.
1: Yes. Uh, Curator Barry Ager, who's a Viking specialist at the British Museum, whose name I hope I am pronouncing correctly, found an ancient Celtic artifact inside an item that the museum already had in its collection. This item was a lump of organic material that had been excavated from a Viking burial site. The purported organic lump, was excavated in Norway in the 1800s and acquired by the museum in 1891. But it wasn't until this year that Ager, who was basically looking through the collection in advance of a, a visit from another researcher, saw something sticking out of it that he thought warranted an extra look. It turned out to be a Celtic disc that had probably been plundered by the Vikings and returned to what's now Norway with them. Probably this disc used to be part of a shrine, but the Vikings who looted it turned it into a brooch. And further research on this organic lump is now ongoing.
0: And this was not the only British artifact found in Viking plunder this year. Uh, Examination of several Viking hordes in 2014 yielded ancient artifacts from all over the British Isles.
1: And we have one more serendipitous slash, oh, this was in the museum's collection the whole time story. Researchers at the Penn Museum rediscovered a complete 6,500-year-old skeleton in their own collection. The skeleton had been in storage in the museum for 85 years, and it was found again by chance while the museum was working to digitize all of its old documentation. So everyone knew that the box was there. They just didn't know what was in it, since it had no catalog card or number. It wasn't matched up with any documentation. They finally managed to match the mystery box to a skeleton that had been labeled, quote, not accounted for uh, during a previous uh, look through the archive in 1990. And the records and the skeleton both existed all of that time. It wasn't until they were trying to digitize all the records that they were able to match up the skeleton with its paperwork. A complete skeleton from this long ago is extremely rare. And this one was dug up in what's now Iraq and was from one of 48 graves that were excavated there between 1929 and 1930.
0: And now moving on to a listener favorite, shipwrecks. So a New Year's low tide revealed the remains of a shipwreck in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. Five of the ship's iron ribs had actually been uncovered way back in 2008 during another low tide. And this time, the low tide revealed 42 of the ship's ribs, which gave researchers a lot more to go on in figuring out its identity. The Lighthouse Archaeological Maritime Program, and that's an organization that researches the maritime history and archaeology of the St. Augustine area, started combing through old records to try to find out what this was. By checking the wreckage that had been revealed against a list of shipwrecks that had happened in the area between 1866 and 1974, they figured out that it was the British flag Deliverance, which was a motorized sailing ship that wrecked in December of 1947. Also this year, a
1: team of Russian excavators who were working underwater off the coast of Alexandria, Egypt, found a collection of French artillery that belonged to Napoleon's fleet. These had been on board a French vessel known as La Patrielle, which had been part of a French expeditionary fleet in 1798. This collection included guns, pistols, and cannons, which were all sent to the Grand Egyptian Museum for restoration and further study.
0: NOAA's Office of National Marine Sanctuaries released 3D images of the wreck of the SS city of Rio de, de Janeiro, which sunk off San Francisco, California in February of 1901. 128 of the 210 people aboard were killed in that sinking, most of them immigrants from China and Japan. And now the wreck lies just outside the Golden Gate Bridge. The mapping project revealed that the wreck is in very poor condition and it's encased in sediment. The team also mapped another nearby wreck, the SS city of Chester as well. And moving away from shipwrecks, we have a couple
1: of things that are related to the Holocaust. So before going into hiding with her family, Anne Frank gave her marbles, a book, and a tea set to her playmate, Tussia Coopers, who I hope I'm saying her name correctly. Uh, She gave them to Tussia for safekeeping, and her friend was supposed to hold on to them until Anne came home again. But as we probably all know, Anne died of typhus in a concentration camp just weeks before it was liberated, After the end of the Holocaust, when only Anne's father, Otto, had survived among the family, Tusia offered to return Anne's belongings to him, and he told her to keep them. So she did, and eventually she sort of forgot that she had them. She found them when she was moving in 2013, and this year the marbles went on display at a museum in Rotterdam for the first time.
0: Uh, Also Holocaust-related, the Memorial and Museum at Auschwitz-Birkenau announced in March that a tool that was used to tattoo prisoners had been added to its collection. It's a set of removable plates and needles that could be put into a stamp in order to fashion a specific number. And it's not a whole set of tools. It's just a zero, two threes, and two stamps that could be sixes or nines. But there's only one other known tattooing device from the camp. So this newly discovered one was found along the evacuation route at Auschwitz-Birkenau. Auschwitz is the only one of the camps that tattooed its prisoners, which is a practice that started in 1941. At first, those numbers were tattooed onto prisoners' chests, and then in 1942, they moved the numbers to the forearm.
1: I think that's probably the most distressing find that we are talking about this year,
0: at least in this episode. It is. It's, It's one of those pieces of history that's troubling but important.
1: Yeah, and this particular article that talked about the find discussed how many of the surviving uh, Holocaust prisoners who were tattooed as they have getting older are starting to, to die uh, because it was that long ago, and how important it is that they were able to find this piece of evidence uh, to put into the collection so that people do not forget that that was part of what was going on. Uh, We have a lot of things that have been dug up that are purportedly the oldest of their kind. And we are going to talk about that after another brief word from a sponsor. Hey, Ollie, we have some exciting news.
0: Yeah, I am wildly excited. And uh, people will have another opportunity to watch me cry at art.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you sounded so calm. And it's not a calm situation at all.
0: you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to the women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So we are going to conclude this uh, this half of our unearthed in 2014 with several things that are purported to be the oldest of uh, their particular item. Another announcement from way back in January was the discovery that a collection of calligraphied bamboo strips was really the world's oldest base 10 multiplication table. These strips themselves were actually found about five years ago. There were 2,500 of them that had most likely been illegally removed from a tomb, and they were sold at a market in Hong Kong. The person who bought them donated them to a university in Beijing, And at that point, they were filthy, they were covered with mold, and they were all kind of jumbled together. So after restoring them and studying them and putting them all back together like a puzzle, researchers determined that they were from 65 different ancient texts. 21 of the strips only contained numbers, and these, when assembled in the right order, reveal a times table that dates back to about 205 BCE and looks just like a times table from today. The researchers think that this multiplication table was used to calculate everything from land area to tax collection at the time that it was made.
0: Researchers at the Naturalist Museum in the Netherlands have found a 540,000-year-old shell marked with zigzag markings. It's part of a collection of 166 shells excavated in Java in the 1890s. Sediment within the markings is about the same age as the shell, making it possibly the world's oldest geometric carving. This would have made it the work of human ancestor Homo erectus.
1: Archaeologists in Rome found the foundations of what's believed to be the oldest temple from Roman antiquity. The temple, when it was built, was situated at a bend in the Tiber River, which is now farther away than it was at that point. This dig was particularly challenging because the ruins themselves are deep enough and close enough to the river that they're actually below the waterline, so they had to work to make sure that it didn't just fill up with water. In addition to the foundation of the temple, the team found offerings from foreign traders that included miniature drinking vessels, and for this reason they believed that the temple was specifically to the goddess Fortuna. Unfortunately, the depth of the pit And the fact that it was seven and a half feet below the water table means that they couldn't leave it open. They had to fill the trench back in once they were done looking at what was down there.
0: I would almost hate to be the guy that says, okay, we're done looking at this amazing ancient find. Fill in the dirt. Like, that would just (laughs) break my heart to make that call.
1: I think some of them were actually relieved because working down there was apparently extremely claustrophobic.
0: That I can believe. Uh, In other news, a fisherman found a 101-year-old message in a bottle believed to be the oldest ever found, or at least the oldest found with the message inside still intact. And that was in the Baltic Sea off the city of Kiel. While the postcard itself is intact, the message is largely illegible. Richard Platts had written the message in 1913 while on a nature hike and then tossed the bottle into the sea. Researchers found his granddaughter and presented her with the message inside. The message and the bottle were set for museum display as of this recording.
1: They were also hoping to be able to piece together what the message actually said. I'm not sure if they've been able to do that yet. The oldest known figurative cave painting was reported in the journal Nature this year. The painting, which was found on the Indonesian island of Sulawesi, depicts a which is a very large tusked pig that eats fruit and is also called a pig deer, which I find kind of charming. This, <laughs> this cave painting is about 40,000 years old, making it about the same age as the other previously known oldest figurative paintings in Europe. This is notable because a lot of archaeologists previously thought that decorative and figurative painting really started in Europe, But this finding makes it seem like it was really happening at roughly opposite ends of the prehistoric world at about the same time. So now the theory is that perhaps this was something that started much earlier with early man in Africa and was taken with uh, the migration out into the rest of the world. In this same Indonesian cave are a series of handprints that were made by putting uh, a hand against the wall and then blowing ochre over it like a stencil. From your mouth, <laughs> with the ochre in your mouth, which just to me, I imagine that that is a lot like having just a mouthful of dirt. So uh, I just want to applaud the prehistoric
0: artists <laughs> who did this. I know, it makes me want a refreshing beverage real bad. Uh, and then to wrap up, archaeologists found the oldest known Pants or trousers, depending on where you're from, in two tombs in China. I love this find. They date back to roughly 1000 BCE, and they're between 300 and 500 years older than the previous record holder for the oldest pants. The garments are made of wool, and they have a three-piece construction made of two straight-cut legs and then a crotch piece that connects them. As an aside, it was most likely domesticating horses and riding that prompted the construction of pants with separate crotches so that it would protect your sitting parts. I'm glad you got to do that one. (laughs) Me too. Cause I remember, um, I think I posted a link to that on our Facebook page when it first came up and, uh, there was much discussion about whether or not I should try to make a pair, which I never got around to, but I love that article. It would, but I, um, one, I couldn't wear them like just the way those style of pants are cut are not for my, um, body shape. (laughs) So it would have been like, these are neat. And then fold them and put them somewhere. And then we would trick later archaeologists who are like, but no, we found a pair <laughs> in
1: Atlanta. How strange. Yeah. So uh, we have lots more stuff in our next episode that came out of the dirt, either literally or figuratively this year. Uh, before we close out for the day, though, I have a little bit of listener mail. This mail is from Keith, who says, hello, Tracy and Holly. Love the podcast. I just finished listening to your installment about the Iroquois theater disaster. You might have come across this in your research, but in case you didn't, here's an interesting factoid. Frank Lloyd Wright, America's most famous and infamous architect, has a connection with the theater disaster. Two of his sons were there when it happened. Lloyd Wright and John Lloyd Wright were there with their grandmother. Lloyd was 13, John was 11. John writes about it in his book entitled, My Father, Frank Lloyd Wright, which is sometimes published as My Father, Who is on Earth. He describes the account just like you did, though with a few extra details. He says there was a Christmas extravaganza going on, and a double octet was singing in the pale moonlight when, quote, balls of cotton on fire dropped on the stage. This was followed by an explosion, then the scenery caught fire. That's the end of the quote. He goes on to describe boy running onto the stage, half costumed and half made up, how he tried to keep the crowd quiet, etc. He said they were sitting in the third row center on the main floor, which is probably why they made it out. The three of them got separated in the crowd, but John found his father, Frank Lloyd Wright, when he got out. He had an office nearby and probably heard the commotion. He claims Frank Lloyd Wright then ran into the burning theater to look for Lloyd and their grandmother. All were fine, but the account obviously affected them. The incident was uh, definitely a harbinger for Frank Lloyd Wright, as he did lose his, min- his mistress and her family in a terrible fire at their home in Spring Green, Wisconsin. A disgruntled servant lit the house on fire only after bolting all the windows and doors so no one could escape. John was in- with Frank Lloyd Wright in Chicago when they got the news. Lloyd Wright had a, sus- a successful career as an architect, designing many houses and structures in California and periodically assisting his father. John Lloyd Wright had a career as an architect, though he was significantly less successful. He is, however, the inventor of that ever-popular toy, Lincoln Logs. Since Frank Lloyd Wright and his disciples so shaped modern American architecture, one wonders if the Iroquois Theater Fire affected their thought process about design and safety. I can't imagine it didn't. Love the podcast. Keep it up. Keith. So, for the record, I did not find that when I was researching the Theater Fire. Uh, it is a great story though, and I did actually know about um, the the fire that was started by a disgruntled servant. That uh, is a thing that I have t- thought about doing an episode on at various points. Um, a couple of times when we've asked people, "Hey, we're looking for some cheery or subject matter," people have thought, <laughs> "Ooh, Ooh, Frank Lloyd Wright," and I kind of go, "Actually, <laughs>
0: it's not uh, so much with the cheery. It's just happened."
1: Yeah. yeah, so thank you so much, Keith, for writing to us. If you would like to write to us, we're at history podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash history, and on Twitter at Missed in history. Our Tumblr is com, and we're on Pinterest at Pinterest.com slash history. If you would like to learn a little more about what we've talked about today, you can come to our web- website. Put the word Vlad in the search bar. You will find... Who was the real Count Dracula? You can do that at our parent company's website, which is HowStuffWorks.com, or you can come to our website, which is MissedInHistory.com, to find show notes and an archive of every single episode ever. You can do all that and a whole lot more at HowStuffWorks.com or MissedInHistory.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. I get past the fluff to what's real. We go there, and it's fun, pretty crazy, and very revealing. Listen to Let's Be Real with Sammy J on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hey, guys, I'm Shane Bacon, and I want to tell you about a new podcast called Get a Grip with Max Homan, Shane Bacon. One guy that has probably hit a 350-yard drive considers himself... An athlete, mostly because of his unreal pop shot abilities, and has in fact started to show off signs of a tricep forming, is our own Max Homa, PGA Tour winner and fan favorite online. Max and myself turn out new episodes every week to give the fan a unique look at golf and all that comes with it from someone that spends his work weeks on tracks we all dream to play, grinding and out with the best in the world. Listen and follow, get a grip with Max Homa and Shane Bacon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts right now.